Corinthians 15. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. Paul, as we've been discussing, kind of winding down this, this letter that he has been dictating to the church in Rome. Again, as a reminder, a church he hasn't visited, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, one that he has always wanted to come and see. It's, he, he knows some of the people next week, Lord willing, should the Lord tarry, we're going to get into chapter 16, and Paul gets very personal as he's, as he's addressing some of the individuals that are in the church that he's met and no doubt had, had relationship with, but he's never been there as, as, to visit the church, but it's been his, on his heart, it's been a desire of his, but up until this point, he hasn't been able to get there, and we continue this morning in verse 22, last time we stopped at verse 21. So let's, let's pick up there. Verse 22 of chapter 15, Romans. For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped by you on the way, when I have first enjoyed our company for a while, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. Paul is in Corinth as he writes this letter to Rome. He understands that his, he's going to be going to Jerusalem. He's going to stop by Ephesus first, get to Jerusalem. He's got some business to take care of there, but his heart is after that to go to Spain and make a stop off in Rome on the way. He says at the beginning here of this verse, for this reason, I've been prevented to coming to you. And if you weren't here last week, it's important to understand what that reason is. You see, Paul understood that he had a very specific calling on his life. God, God chose him, God saved him, and God gave him a mission. And that mission was just like yours and mine we talked of last week. We are all called to, be, to go out to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus. We are all called as Christians to share our faith. But Paul had a very specific calling as an apostle, as an evangelist, to go out and take the gospel to the Gentiles. First of all, Paul was a Jew, and he had a heart for his Jewish brethren and a heart that they would receive the gospel, so much so he even said at one point as we studied, he'd be willing to even give up his own salvation if they would be saved. But he also understood that his specific calling was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he also understood that his specific call was to go where the gospel had not been proclaimed, and to take the gospel into uncharted waters, if you would. And since Rome already had an established church, he says, for this reason, I have been prevented from coming to you, because there's already a church there. And up to this point, God has this call on me out here. And I want to focus this morning on, on so, an, a characteristic of God that as believers we need to embrace and realize that is with us constantly, and that is the providence of God. The almighty, all-powerful hand of God on our lives. And, and oftentimes that can be mis twisted around as that, you know, God is for us and his hand, he's all-powerful, and, and I, you know, if I'm in it, I just name it and claim it. <laughs> If I just say it, it's going to happen because, you know, obviously that's with it. Do you notice what it says here? I have been prevented. <laughs> Realize that God's providence in our lives oftentimes involves prevention, preventing us. And to go to Rome, is that a bad thing? No, it's not at all. As a matter of fact, heart, Paul's heart was to go there to minister to them and be, to be ministered to by them. But it says up until this point, the Lord had prevented that. Paul had a sensitivity 
to the Holy Spirit in his life and in his ministry. And he was willing to be obedient to that no matter what it was that the Lord, what door the Lord opened or what door the Lord closed. And I think sometimes we, we don't like to talk about the closed doors when Lord, the Lord might be preventing something. But I think it's an important piece because Paul was sensitive to that. Let's, as a matter of fact, let's look at an instance where Paul, where it's recorded for us where Paul had this happen. Go back to the book of Acts with me, if you would. Right before Romans, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, Luke is recording for us the events in the book of Acts, and he's speaking of Paul and some others as they are traveling in a missionary journey of theirs. And in verse 6, it says this, they passed through the Pergian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and then on the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we are supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Here we see some important things that I think are important for us as we follow along. Because as I mentioned, Paul had his mission. But guys, all of us are given a mission. All of us have a race to run. And we all need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And there's some great principles in this as we see how Paul was sensitive to that. First of all, notice Paul had a plan. Paul was, Paul was leaving this Galatian region, and his plan was to go down south. It says to Asia, that's not Asia as you and I know Asia today. Asia then inv included the city of Ephesus, and that's where Paul was, was going to be heading, but it says the Holy Spirit prevented him. And then he said, well, well if that's the case, we'll go, we'll go up north to Bithynia, and it says, no, the Spirit of Jesus prevented that. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 16, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. How many of you have blamed closed doors on the enemy? So often I think that we have a tendency to default there. Well, I, I, I want to go and share the gospel over here. I want to, but it's not happening. It must be the enemy. Can I suggest to you that it very might, might, very might well be the Lord? Was it wrong for Paul to have a desire to take the gospel to Ephesus? Of course not. But it said the Holy Spirit prevented him. Was it wrong for him to want to take the gospel up north to Bithynia? Of course not. It says the Spirit of the Lord Jesus prevented him. Guys, we have to understand this, that our calling to take the gospel out to the world is the Lord's calling on our life. He doesn't just hand us a blank check and say, all right, go. We need to be checking in with him and listening to him all the way because it is in his power, by his direction, as he opens doors. We see 
that this is played out here in, in Acts for us, the psalmist David writes this, the steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. And we can assume when David is saying that is that when the man walks in the way established for him, when he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. The steps of a man in the will of God, God will establish the steps. And if we are obedient to follow that, notice it doesn't say that we'll never have problems, that we'll never stumble. What it says is when we stumble, we're not going to fall down headlong because the Lord has our hand. Guys, what David is telling us and we see played out for us in the, in the Gospels and in the book of Acts when we are following the Lord's will for us, when we are trusting in him, when we are obedient to him, guys, the, the steps are ordained, the stumbles are contained, and the outcome is obtained. Jesus said, I will build my church. He didn't say, you guys go build my church. He said, I will. So when we are obedient and we follow as he does, he's the master builder we're just tools in his hand. We see that, that God, God often has, has the answer no that comes. And I, I, I think it's funny because when, you, when you're talking you know, to, to children sometimes and everything like that, you'll, you'll say that. They'll, they'll ask a question, you say no, and what do they ask? What do you mean? What do you mean, what do I mean? No. But I, I'm so often guilty of that. When I feel that the Lord is saying no, I'm like, well, what do you mean? Well, no means no. Whoa. Stop. The door is closed. Some doors are closed permanently. Paul, it, it is never recorded for us in the gospel, or I'm sorry, in the, in the Bible, that Paul ever makes it to Bithynia. But the gospel got there. Sometimes we think if I don't do it, Who's going to do it? That's not your business. God's got somebody else. God's going to do it. God's going to fulfill his plans and his purposes. The gospel gets to Bithynia without Paul. But you know what? Sometimes the door is closed only temporarily because we all know Paul eventually makes it to Ephesus. He, it becomes a very center stage for him in ministry, and the gospel goes out in great ways from Ephesus, but it wasn't then. God works in his ways. And here we see, again, in Acts, as this is, is laid out for us, instead of trying to jam through a closed door, Paul went and he waited on the Lord. And it tells us that then it came, this vision came to him. And it said to him, you know, come to Macedonia. We need you. Come and help us. Now, God might speak to us as dramatically as that in a vision, that specific. Oftentimes, it'll just be that subtle prompting on our hearts. And we follow out, step out in faith and step out in obedience. And I want to notice real quickly before we go back to, to Romans here, notice his response. Once the door is open, guys, when the door is closed, stop. But once the door is open, look at the response. Verse 10, immediately, right away, no more delay, move. Verse 11, we ran a straight course, not only without delay, but without distraction. Straight course, not winding around, get right to it, because so often, I don't know about you, but man, I feel like, okay, this is where we're going, this is where I had to squirrel. Before you know it, I'm, I'm off course, because I got distracted. And without discouragement, because I don't know about you, 
But if I'm Paul in that situation, I have a vision. The very vision is very clear. A man is telling me to come to Macedonia because I need help. What are you looking for when you get off the boat? A man. Dude, you're the guy. <laughs> Not the case. As a matter of fact, it tells us that they were there for a few days. And if you're anything like me, after a few hours, after thinking, okay, well, I'll probably see him at dinner. Okay, he's not here at dinner. Okay, probably tomorrow morning over coffee. Not here tomorrow morning over coffee. I'm going back to Troas. Say, okay, did I hear correctly? But Paul waited because he knew that the Lord was directing this. He knew that he was waiting. And God moves in a totally remarkable way, a way that he would have never thought. It tells us that, you know, he, he's looking for a man to come over here. They go down by the river on the Sabbath day, expecting to find a group of men. They find a group of women. Paul is obedient in sharing the gospel. Lydia is born again, and the church is birthed because he's following the Lord's directions. And we see that, that God is working in ways. Again, Paul, I want to go to Ephesus. You know what would have happened if Paul would have blown through that door and just gone down to Ephesus without following after the Lord? It's kind of subtle, but look at this back in the text here. Look at the pronouns in verse 7 of chapter 16. After the, and after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go to Bithynia. And passing, verse 8, and passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas. Notice the pronouns in verse 10. Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach. Guess what? Luke joins the team. A very important part of Paul's missionary team joins in Troas. God knew that. Paul didn't. God knows what he's doing. And so often we look at pre, when God is preventing something, when, things are, when a door is closed, we're looking at that as a, as a negative, as a bad thing. We need to be patient and know that God is doing something in us. God is doing something in someone else. God is preparing a situation that is not ready for us to get there yet. We have to trust that providential, sovereign, almighty God is doing something way beyond our understanding and control. Providence, prevention, it always has a purpose. God is always doing something. And sometimes that purpose, again, is preparation. Sometimes it might involve pruning in our lives. I don't think that there's a better illustration of that in the Old Testament than Joseph. We see that God prevented Joseph several times in his, in his life from getting what he wanted. Joseph, when he's coming to see his brothers one time and his brothers take his coat off, they're going to kill him, remember, and they throw him in the pit. I would imagine Joseph wanted to get out of the pit. Just guessing. But he was prevented. What prevented Joseph from getting out of the pit? Now, we could say his brothers. We could say a whole lot of things. But we know God is all-powerful. So what prevented him? God did. All of a sudden, he's, his brothers decide not to kill him. They decide to sell him into slavery and, and into this group going into Egypt. He got, they goes into Egypt. He's bought in the slave market by a man named Potiphar. All of a sudden, we find out in Potiphar's house, he's, he's very successful. He's doing really well. But all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife starts hitting on him and, and wants to have an affair with him and starts hitting on him. I can imagine Joseph wanted to get out of that situation. But God did not transfer him. <laughs> He kept him right in the middle of that extremely horrible situation for him. And it ended up even costing him to get thrown into prison when Potiphar's wife turned on him and said, he tried to rape me, lied about him. He gets thrown into prison. I'm just guessing, but he probably wanted to get out of prison. 
What prevented him? God did. Even to the point where he's going to later on meet this, this baker and this, this, the, the wine taster of Pharaoh. And, and he's going to interpret their dreams. And he's going to say, okay, when you get out of here, don't forget me. Guess what? They forgot him until God's perfect timing. And then, Joseph, you know the story. Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh then makes him second in command. Second in command, he, he interprets the dream and he puts into practice all of this stuff, saving all of the, the harvest and all of these things because the famine is coming and all of that. And we know the rest of the story. But guys, understand, that's the providential hand of God preventing Joseph from getting what he thought would be the best thing for him at the time. Because if it wasn't for being thrown in the pit and left in the pit, he wouldn't have gotten sold into slavery. If he didn't get sold into slavery, he wouldn't have been Potiphar's servant. If he wasn't Potiphar's servant, Potiphar's wife wouldn't have hit on him. If Potiphar's wife didn't hit on him, he wouldn't have got thrown into prison. If he didn't get thrown into prison, he wouldn't have met the baker and the wine taster. If they didn't forget about him until Pharaoh needed it at that time. You get where I'm going? Genesis 50, verse 20. Joseph finally addressing his brothers after all of this. As for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about, notice, this present result, to preserve many people alive. This present result. In the middle of it all, he didn't understand why, God, are you preventing all of this stuff? Then all of a sudden, I get it, because God had a way bigger picture. And we see now, let's, let's go back to Romans 15. For this reason, I've been prevented from coming to you, verse 23, but now, but now, there's no further place for me in these regions. What Paul is saying is, I have now completed what God had me doing before, taking the gospel. I have completed, I fully preached the gospel, he said in verse 19, in these regions. There's no further place for me. God has now said, my work here is done. Now I can move on to the next step, what God has for me next. Can I just challenge you today, if you are in a place in your life where you are asking God to move you, whether that be in a job, whether that be in some type of relationship or in, in, in your home, or maybe even in surprise, and you want to get out of here. I don't know why, but maybe. <laughs> but if, if you're there, and you're asking, and you just feel God is preventing can I challenge you, instead of praying, God, move me, say, God, what still needs to be done here? What, what is it that you still have me here for? Because God is a faithful God. And, and he is, he's doing and he's working in you. And someday you'll be able to look back as Joseph did and said, it's for this present result. I didn't see it then, but I see it now. We, can, we need to look at God's preventing sometimes in our lives as a real blessing. When God is preventing, we need to be relenting. We need to be consenting. We need to be contenting. Because if we're resenting, we need to be repenting. Enough supplementing. Let's move on. <laughs> Paul again, he says, 
um, now that this is now that I've been freed up from this obligation, he says, I, I'm going to Jerusalem, and we're going to get in there in a second as to what he needs to do in Jerusalem. But he says, I'm going to I'm going to come there. But notice that Rome isn't his stop. Ultimately, he recognizes he's got a heart to take the gospel to Spain. And he says, on my way through there, and we know, like we said already, in chapter one, he mentions this, and he says, after I've enjoyed some company with you, ministering to each other, but it's important we notice this. Notice he says, to be helped on my way there by you, verse 24. I'm going to stop by and see you guys to be helped by you. How, what is he talking about? Well, we find that out when we keep reading, verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual blessings, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on my way of you to Spain." Paul is saying, in addition to coming there and, and having mutual blessing, you know, encouraging one another, I'm going to give you guys in Rome the opportunity to give to the ministry of the Lord that's going to get started in Spain. He's, he, what he's talking about, these contributions that are made by these churches, Macedonia and Achaia, He's saying that, that all the way along, he's been collecting money. We know that in reading in Acts. He's been collecting money because the church in Jerusalem is really struggling. The church in Jerusalem is primarily made up of Jews who have accepted Christ as, their, as the Messiah and, and as their Savior. And because of that, they've been completely rejected by their Jewish families and, and all of that. So they're really struggling financially. So these Gentiles in these regions have been collecting money, giving it to Paul so that he can take and he can be a blessing to those in Jerusalem who are suffering. He says, I have to go to Jerusalem to give the gift and make sure it's received. Because in pride, a Jew would, a Jew would especially in their old self, before being born again in their old culture, in their old way of thinking, I would never receive help from a Gentile. So Paul is saying, I have to put my seal on this. I have to take it there. I have to say, but he says, when I'm done with that, I'm going to come by way of you so that you have an opportunity to give into the ministry of, of where, where God is continuing on with the gospel up to Spain. Now I have to confess as a pastor, when we come to these points sometimes and all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're going to talk about giving. We're going to talk about giving to the, to the work of the ministry. And all of a sudden as a pastor, I'm like, oh boy. And if you're visiting for the first time, you're like, oh boy, what did that take, 20 minutes? And now you're, what, are you going to pass the plate again? No, no. But giving is an important part of the ministry, not because of the gift, but because of the blessing that is ours in the giving. Paul makes that very clear. And the Bible is full of, of, of speaking on the, the topic of giving. In chapter 4 of Philippians, he says this, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Ironically, Paul is writing the letter to Philippi, the Philippian church, from jail in Rome. You see, fast forward 
several years from where we're reading in Romans. Paul gets to Ephesus. We'll cover that in a second. Goes, goes on to Jerusalem, does the business there, is placed under arrest, the whole thing. But he ends up back now in Rome, in jail in Rome. He's writing to Philippi. The church in Philippi had taken a collection because they heard of his need there. As a prisoner in Rome, you still had to provide for your own needs. So they sent this. And he's sending a little thank you along with the letter. But notice he says, it's not the gift. Thanks for it, but it's not the gift. He's blessed by the fact that they understand that as they're doing this, God is pleased. I, I don't know about you. We talked about this on Wednesday night, studying in Job. That concept about pleasing God amazes me. How could, how could I, the creation, please my creator? How could I, the one who has given me everything, I have everything because of him, I have nothing on my own. How could I please the one who gave me everything? And here we see in, in God's word, he gives us this, this amazing concept. It's one of the ways is to give to the work of the ministry as it goes out around the world. And as I mentioned, the Bible talks a lot about it. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are full of, that's, that's what it's talking about completely. And I just want to touch on a couple of, of heart-related issues when it comes to giving. Because again, God is much more concerned about the heart. Newsflash, God doesn't need our money. If <laughs> he's not going bankrupt, his ministry is not about to go out of business if you don't give today. Okay, that's, that God, it's, it's, he doesn't need our money. He allows us to participate in ministry with him. But we have to have the right heart. Paul speaks of that, and, and we need to give cheerfully. We need to give joyfully, not out of compulsion. He says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Joyfully giving into the ministry, the work of God. Privately. Jesus speaks of that in Matthew chapter 6. When you give, don't give as the hypocrites do. He talks about those that give and, and make their donations so that people can see. And, and oh, look at how holy they are. Look at, look at oh man, that's, huge. that's a huge gift to get so that you're recognized by man. Jesus said, if that's why you're doing it, enjoy the recognition because that's the only reward you're going to get. But... If you give privately, so much so, he says, so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. He says, the heavenly father notices and he will reward you. And that's what Paul is talking about when he's saying a well-pleasing, an acceptable sacrifice, a profit which increases to your account. God reward. Giving responsively. Notice he speaks of them being indebted. Indebted to the ministry, not again, not out of obligation, not out of duty, but the fact that, that they have been blessed spiritually, so they are giving materially. I, I really like this is in study through verse 26 when it says, pleased to make a contribution. That word contribution is the Greek word koinonia. And if you, if you studied that at all and understand that, all, koinonia is the word that is often used, translated fellowship. When we give to the ministry, the work of the ministry, 
We are joining in fellowship with the Lord as the gospel goes out around the world. We're joining in fellowship with one another and with other believers around the world. When you give to the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Surprise, the gospel, we use that to take the gospel around the world. We support ministries as close by as El Mirage, Cosecha Church, just right down the street that, that, came, that was actually planted out of Calvary Chapel last year. We, we support uh, uh, Choices Pregnancy Center here in, in Arizona, which, by the way, we're going to be having another baby bottle drive coming up in the next couple of weeks. We'll let you know about that, so start saving your, your coins. Um, I mentioned last year that they let us know after our last year's baby bottle drive that that was the largest single contribution to Choices Pregnancy Center ever from Calvary Chapel Surprise. Yeah, praise the Lord. We... Children's lives were saved because of that. Moms came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They're, ser they're searching for answers. Should I abort this child? What should I do? And hearing the gospel, they get, they get saved and they choose, to, they choose life. We're a part of that. The, the homeless ministry downtown, You Matter Ministries, a golf tournament that's coming up, the proceeds go to support that. Men and women get saved every week through You Matter Ministry, and we're a part of that. Throughout, across the country, Logan, Utah, to Newark, New Jersey, around the world, we have, we're supporting ministries in, in Brazil, in India, in Philippines, in China, Myanmar, Africa, England, New Guinea. God is using us. Guys, do you realize the privilege that it is to be involved in that? I just, I just get so blessed. And, and the heart behind that and to understand that, we see it a little bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This, these churches in Macedonia and Achaia that are providing this, this gift that Paul is now taking to Jerusalem, look at how they, how they looked at their giving. Paul writes about these churches here. He says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They weren't twisted. They weren't manipulated. It was out of their own heart. But look at this, verse 4. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. That God would give me that opportunity to be involved in the work that he wants to do. God works in unbelievable ways. And when we, ex when we understand what really is behind giving, as Christians, as born-again believers, with the right heart, the Bible says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we would walk in them. Do you believe that? It's the word of God. Do you believe that's true? Well, if that's true, and it is, when we are involved in, in sending money, and let's just, let's just, say, let's just say to Myanmar, the, 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 the Bible school in Myanmar that we support over there, when we are involved in that, do you realize that if we believe that the word of God is real, and it is, that that was always meant for them? From, from eternity past, it was always meant for them. It was never ours to begin with. It was always meant for them, so God gives it to us, says, give it to them. We just simply act in obedience, passing it along. We're just the brokers in the transaction, and guess what? We get the commission. How cool is that? And, and no wonder the guys in, in Macedonia are begging and saying, hey, let us be involved in that. 
Paul says in Philippians 4, 19 and 20, again, following the verses we looked at already, 17 and 18, he says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Again, providential hand of God. He gives to us, we pass it along, we trust that his providential hand will take care of our needs. We simply are obedient to what he calls us to do. Now, specifically, what does that mean for you? I don't know. Talk to God about it. <laughs> that's between you and the Lord. The how much and the where and all of that kind of stuff, that's between you and the Lord. I can tell you what your heart's supposed to look like. That we just covered. The rest is between you and the Lord. Paul is excited to finish this transaction, he says, to put his seal on the fruit and then get on, get on there to, to Rome. Verse 29, let's look at Paul's perspective. I love this when, he, when he's speaking of this that's coming. He says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Paul just gets it. He understands that he's in the will of God. And as long as he stays in the will of God, and it's God's will that he gets to Rome, he says, I know that I will be in the fullness of the blessing of Christ when I get there. Now, does that mean he's going to be pain-free, no stress, no worries, no issues at all? It's going to be like the best vacation you've ever had to Italy? No, and you know what? Paul doesn't expect that either. As a matter of fact, he knows differently. I mentioned earlier, Paul's writing the Roman letter from Corinth. He's going to leave Corinth on his way to Jerusalem. He's going to stop off at Ephesus. When he's in Ephesus, he knows he will never see them again. And he's addressing them before he is to head off to Jerusalem. And he says this, and see now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. Paul said, I don't have any idea what's ahead of me, except it's going to be brutal. Chains, tribulations, afflictions, trials, that, that's what awaits me. I don't want to ask for a show of hands of how many of you would want to retire in Ephesus right there, get a condo on the beach. But Paul said, I'm going. I know that's what's ahead of me. Notice what he says next. But none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul says, I know that this is all that's ahead of me. It's going to be suffering. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But none of that stuff moves me. Because I don't count my life dear to myself. You know what Paul counted dear to himself? His mission. His ministry. The race that God set before him. And do you know why he counted it that way? Because Jesus gave it to him. The one who saved him. Paul understood that his life, the one that he says, I don't count dear to myself, his life, he was headed for hell. He was, he was headed for eternal destruction. But God. God stepped out of heaven. He lived a perfect, sinless life. Then he took that sinless life and was nailed to a cross and bled his perfect blood into the ground to save Paul. And he said, if, if that God who would do that for me would ask me to do something, 
that becomes the most precious thing to me. Way more than my life. Way more than what I could possibly accumulate for myself or try to avoid in my life. That is what's precious. And he says, and because he had that kind of attitude, he says, I know when I get, you, when I get there with you guys, I'm going to be full of the blessing of Christ. Now, I'm challenged by that. And I pray that the Holy Spirit challenges you with that. Because we're all called to run the race that God sets before us. Not all of us are called to run Paul's race. As a matter of fact, only Paul was called to run Paul's race. We're all called to run our own individual race. And we need to, we need to run it in such a way that we understand that, guys, we were headed for hell. We deserve the wrath of God forever. But God, because he loved us, he sent his only son to die for us. And that God lived a perfect, sinless life. And then he bled his perfect blood into the ground for you and me. And he would ask that we would partner with him in ministry. That should be our most important, most precious thing. Paul writes this at the end of his life. He again is in prison in Rome at this point when he writes 2 Timothy, perhaps within days of his execution. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul understood not only does the Lord ask us to partner with him in ministry, but there's a reward waiting. Again, it, does it, it, it goes beyond our comprehension. He's the one who does all of it, gives it to us, asks us to, to partner with him in it, and at the end, he rewards us. Paul said that's what's waiting, and it's waiting for us as well. If we will run the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, not allowing the sin to so easily entangle us, but running with endurance, running with joy. And running with endurance, running with joy, running in the will of God. Guys, we need, we need his providential hand. We need to embrace the fact that in his providence, he will prevent certain things. When the doors are closed, we, we don't try to push them open. When they're open, we need to run through. We need to stay focused. We need to trust the fact that God will provide. God is the one who is doing all of the work. That he allows us to participate in this. And oh, that we could have the perspective that Paul does. But there's one more thing that we need. And Paul addresses that in the last few verses here, and that's prayer. Now I urge you, brethren, by, the Lord, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for, for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in joy, note, by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Guys, prayer is so important. And I know it kind of sounds counterintuitive when we're talking about the providential, sovereign hand of Almighty God and prayer that we bring petitions to him. I don't know, I don't know how it works. I just know that it works. Prayer works. And we need to be praying for one another. 
And I so appreciate Paul in this. And he's, he, he's saying, I want you to pray for me. Paul often asked for prayer for himself personally. And I know sometimes we can, we can let pride get in our way and we don't ask one another to pray for each other. Guys, we need to be praying for each other. We don't know how to pray for each other unless we tell how to be praying for one another. And notice Paul says he's asking a very personal request. And when he asks to be rescued, he's not asking that, oh, I keep hearing that these chains and all of this stuff is coming. Pray it doesn't happen. No, Paul is embracing that. We just looked at that. I believe Paul behind that prayer is that the prayer that I would ask you to pray for me is that none of those things would move me, that none of those things would distract me. Paul, is, Paul has his, his, his heart set, his mind set on the mission that God has given him, and he's saying, pray for me. And not casually either. Notice he's saying, I urge you, that is, I am begging you to strive together with me in prayer for me. <laughs> Striving together. And I, I really appreciate that because if Paul's not too proud to ask for it, I'm not too proud to ask for it. Pray for me. Pray for my wife. Pray for Pastor Brad and Marion. Pray for Pastor John and Debbie. Pray for, our, pray for our elders and their wives. Pray for our deacons. Pray for the, the ministry leaders in the church. Pray for their children's ministry and youth and ministries. Pray for us. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak for them right now. They might get upset with me later. But don't pray that difficulties won't come because they will. Pray that none of them would move us. Pray that we would stay steadfast in what God has called us to do. Pray that we would stay focused on him. Pray that he would always be glorified and honored in this place. Pray for one another. Guys, there is power in prayer. If you're not a part of our prayer chain yet, get signed up for it. We, we send prayer requests out every day to be praying for each other. If you have a prayer request, go onto the website. Let us know how we can be praying for you. There's prayer cards right in front of you in the seat pockets. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Guys, there's power in prayer. Paul believed in it so much that he's begging them to be praying with him. Lastly, last verse 15, now the God of peace be with you all. I just, what, a, what an awesome benediction, if you would. The God of peace, God of peace be with you all. Guys, as, as Christians, as born again believers, we understand that the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We know that because we serve a sovereign, almighty, providential God whose hand is involved in the details of our lives. We know that he will provide for us. He promised he will. We know that he will go before us. We know that he'll never leave us or forsake us. We know that he will, the angel armies are, are around us. We know that. And so we can have that peace. We can leave here today with the peace, again, that passes understanding, regardless of what we're going to face tomorrow. We don't know. He does. He's preparing us for it. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have that peace. You can't. Because you can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And your sin has separated you from him. Your sin has made you an enemy of God. 
And we have all been there. All of our sin has, has separated us from God and we've fallen short of the glory of God. We were all in that position. The difference between a born-again believer and you today is that we're at peace with God. The blood of Jesus has set us free. The blood of Jesus has washed our sin away. It can happen for you right now, right now. But you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to receive the free gift that he's given. You need to respond to the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural thing. Being born again isn't something you control any more than, than your original birth was, but you have to allow it to happen. You need to allow the Lord to come in and change you. You need to make him Lord of your life. So I want to invite you to do that right now. You can have the peace of God after you make peace with God today. Would you please stand with me? If that is you, I, right now I invite you to just respond to the living God, your creator who died for you, gave his own life for you to pay for your sin debt. You respond to him in your heart right now. And the prayer doesn't save you, but you just go before him and, and confess your sin. God, just say, God, I'm a sinner. I know that my sin has separated me from you. I know that my life isn't pleasing to you. I don't have that peace. I know I'm your enemy because of that. But Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe that you, you shed your blood to pay the, the penalty for my sin. So would you come into my life right now? Wash my sin away and give me that gift of eternal life. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning and ask that you would do what only you can. Holy Spirit, move on hearts. Change eternity. Jesus, we, we as those redeemed by your blood this morning stand in awe of you. Lord, we embrace, we embrace your providential hand on our lives. Even, even as, as times we confess, we've, we've, we become upset, we become anxious when the doors aren't open that we want open. Lord, would you give us patience? Would you give us perseverance? Lord, would you show us the door that is open and we'll run through it, trusting you. Have your way in us, Lord. We pray that you would continue to guide and lead. Thank you for allowing us to be involved in your ministry around the world. Thank you for opening up that opportunity for us. Lord, give us the right perspective on the race that you've laid before each one of us. Help us to understand that it's the most precious thing, the most important thing is, is your will for us, your plan for us. Lord, we thank you that when we pray, you hear and you answer and you respond. So we lift it up to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.